Good morning, Forest Park. Good morning. Happy Easter to you. Great to see you today. You know, I, I never liked Easter. I, I never told anybody. I went along with it as if I loved it, but I didn't. Even as a kid, I never liked the Easter bunny. Coloring and hiding eggs were okay. Uh, not my favorite. My grandmother, if you grew up in a home like I did, you probably had this tradition too. My grandmother bought me a suit to wear every Easter. So always she would take me to a suit store. We'd pick out a suit when I was a little kid. And I would wear it on Easter Sunday mornings. And I loved her, so I always wore the suit. But I, I didn't want to wear the suit. I didn't like it. Then as a teenager, I sang in Easter cantatas. And for those of you who are new to church, basically an Easter cantata is a choir made up of people not allowed to sing the rest of the year. <laughs> but they're given e Easter privileges, so they're able to sing. So I sang in Easter cantatas until my seventh grade year when I overheated during the Easter production and threw up during the performance. Um, believe it or not, even as a pastor, I didn't like Easter. Uh, I was glad when it was over. It was stressful. Everything had to be perfect for the guests who were coming in. Everybody expected great singing, an excellent message. We always had attendance goals. You know, we want to reach this attendance. And if we reached it, I always felt great. If we didn't reach it, I always felt deflated. It was just, it was just difficult. And then for years before we moved into this auditorium, we had multiple services on Easter, up to six on Easter weekend. We'd have a Friday night service, a Saturday night service, four on Sunday morning, or four throughout the day on Sunday. It was just exhausting. And I know that sounds terrible, especially coming from a pastor, but I'm honest. Plus, and I think this is the main reason, I didn't get the hype. And Easter's a big hype day. You know, I didn't get it. I mean, Jesus came out of the tomb, amazing, incredible. Because of it, lives were changed, movies were made, masterpieces were painted, songs sung, poems written, sermons preached, people, you know, who couldn't sing joined cantatas. I mean, it was all kinds of, of things like that on Easter. I got it, but it didn't affect my life that much. I got chocolate bunnies, and I ate too many hard-boiled eggs, and I wore a scratchy new suit every Easter morning. But other than those things, my life remained pretty much the same. I mean, Jesus came out of the tomb, but everyone I loved who died was still in theirs. Jesus defeated Satan, but I, I never met my real father. Jesus took the keys to death, hell, and the grave, but what about the keys to depression that I struggled with throughout my teenage years? And into my young adult years. He loved me, but the girls I crushed on didn't seem to want to go out with me. So what's going on with all this stuff? You know, I just didn't see how the resurrection of Jesus made that much of a difference. And if I could sit down with you and press you just a little bit, I think many of you would say the same thing. I mean, does it really matter? Does it matter beyond the good feeling you have when you come into a church filled with people and people dressed up and great songs are sung and a sermon is preached and portraits are taken? I mean, is it beyond that? Does it, does it matter? Because tomorrow, if you return to work, Jesus' walking out of the tomb won't affect the emails you haven't returned or the disappointing employee you need to fire or the marital problems leading you to counseling or divorce, or the poor health diagnosis. I mean, those things remain when the day ends. When the Easter family portrait is edited, when the Easter lunch is digested, when the Easter guests go home, work is still there, family tension remains, financial pressure continues to mount. So is today merely a day to feel good? Is today merely a day to make sure the Easter bunny visits your house, get everybody together for a photograph, and have a good excuse to have a delicious meal? And for some of you, that's all it is. And listen, listen, if that's all it is for you, 
and that's all it ever will be for you. Listen, I, I'm not here to throw shade your way, okay? I have no judgment. But here's what's going on inside me. And today is an opportunity for me to just share what's happening inside of me and to reach out for the next few minutes and just kind of pull you into some tension that's inside and some things that I'm struggling through and working my way through. And I'm just going to ask you to join with me in a conversation that I'm having, okay? Because here's what's happening inside of me. These last few years altered me. I'm not the same person as three years ago. I see things, I see people in church and God differently. Hopefully more accurately, more honestly, more raw, more real, less fluff, less filler, less fake. But I'm not the same. And one significant change is how I view Easter. Not, not the day set aside for bunnies and eggs and dresses and hats and pictures. I mean, I'm still not a big fan of all of that. I'm talking about Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. And here's a question posed to me during these last few years, and I've been wrestling with it. And I'm not sure I have the answers to it. I'm just kind of letting you in again on this conversation and kind of asking you to work with me on this. And let's try to figure this out together as a community. Because here's the question that, that I'm wrestling through. Here it is. What would it look like to live in such a way that if the resurrection isn't true, my life makes no sense? That's a big question. Here's, here's what I see now. Most of our lives... Most of us live our lives in such a way that it doesn't matter if the resurrection occurred. I mean, again, not, not here to condemn you. I, trust me, I have dropped most of the rocks in my life. I would say all of them, but every now and then there's still a judgmental streak in me. And I find myself polishing off a rock. And I got pretty good years ago at hitting people from a distance. And every now and then I want to do that still. So I, I wish I could say I've dropped all the rocks. But every now and then I, I find one that I overlooked. But most all the rocks I've dropped. So I'm not here to judge you. Not here to condemn you. But when I read the historical accounts of the early church, for them, the resurrection changed everything. So if, if it changed everything for them, how can it not have any real bearing on me? If the resurrection of Jesus turned everything on its head, in the first century, overcame the Roman Empire, fundamentally changed the known world, then how can it not directly impact Forest Park Church? Okay, so what does all this mean? Well, here's what's missing in a lot of churches today, and, and it's going to sound like I'm on a soapbox and pointing fingers at other churches, and I'm not, because listen, I've been in church all my life, and for the last 30 years, I've led church. So I'm in the system, all right? I'm looking at it from the inside out. So I'm being self-critical. I'm just sharing with you where I am. Here's what's missing in a lot of churches today. Not the lights, okay? We, we have plenty. In fact, if you don't like ours, you can go across town and find a church that has better. Not the sound. It's better today than ever. Sometimes you have to wear earplugs. Not the videos. I mean, they are slick. Not the cool pastors. I mean, look at me. Not the great music. We have better music, you know, in churches across our nation than probably ever before. That's not what I'm talking about. Here's what's missing. What's missing is a community of people 
so in love with one another, so committed to one another, so dedicated to the welfare of one another, whose lifestyle, behaviors, politics, passions, concerns, inclusions, and worship are so radical, it can only be explained by the resurrection of Jesus. That, my friend, is rare. So how does the resurrection make our lives intelligible and without the resurrection, unintelligible? I mean, how does Easter Sunday actually set us apart? Well, let's, let's back up and take it from a different angle, okay? Many of you are like me. Many of you watching online, you're like me when it, when it comes to this struggle. We look around, and if we're honest, we wonder what's going on. I mean, you watch the news, you, you check out social media platforms, you just kind of listen to the conversations going on around the water coolers. There is distrust everywhere. We just don't trust people anymore. And I don't blame you. I don't trust a lot of people anymore. There's more violence than ever. I mean, even in our own community and around our nation, and we see it happening around the world, we continue to fight racism. In 2022, we're still dealing with racist issues. There's sexual abuse from the White House to the schoolhouse to the church house. Our economy is struggling. There's confusion about meaning and purpose everywhere. And, and then when we look in the mirror, if we're honest, we wonder what's going on. I mean, with all the technologies and advancements, we continue to have fears and anxieties. Our medicine cabinets are filled. Our calendars are packed with therapy and counseling sessions. Our, our kids are the most safe and protected generation to ever live on this planet, yet they are the most mentally fragile generation to ever live on this planet. We continue to battle recurring sins and mistakes. We have deep character flaws. We nurse ugly, unhealed wounds. And then if that isn't enough, we look ahead. We look into the future and we wonder, what's going on? I mean, what about all the injustices? Will they ever be atoned? The broken systems, the education system that's broken, the, the governmental systems that are broken, the religious systems that are broken. We, we fear our past sins eventually is going to catch up with us and we're going to have to pay for what we've done. The future. I mean, over the last month, I've heard nuclear war back in people's conversations and I haven't heard that in a long time. So we look around and we look within and we look ahead and I know it sounds depressing to say it, but I'm just trying to be as raw and honest with you as I can. There isn't a whole lot of hope, not a lot of good news. I mean, you flip channels and you tell me how much good news is there. You pay attention to social media. You tell me how much conversations are happening that's filled with good news and hope. Not a lot. And this is where the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. They say, oh, come on, Scott. I mean, I mean how, how can believing Jesus came out of the tomb 2,000 years ago make any real lasting difference in our lives today? I mean, Scott, be honest. I mean, the reason people get dressed up and go to church on Easter is it's, 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 a, it's a new season. I mean, that's kind of what it's all about. I mean, that's why we have bunnies and eggs. It's, it's all about renewal and celebrating new life and spring is new life. Get it? That's what it's about. And we have warmer weather, not today, but most of the time we have warmer weather and the birds are out and snow and bitter nights are gone. But really, really, what, what was Jesus coming out of the tomb? have to do with us living in 2022. I mean, with all of our education and science and advancement technologies, I mean, we've moved beyond that superstition, right? Folks, I, I have spent my life convincing people Jesus came out of the tomb. I've read book after book about it. I've taken classes about it. I've written papers uh, outlining the evidence, and I've done pretty well. But what I've not done well is lead people to live within a community that is impossible to explain without the resurrection. 
Here's a book. I'm not going to read it. Just randomly pick this up out of my office. If you found this book laying somewhere, it's lying, you know, somewhere, and you, you picked it up, and you just kind of thumbed through it, it would be obvious to you that some people, or a person, and more than one, spent time structuring these sentences, working through to put paragraphs in a certain way, in a logical, you know, flow. Somebody designed the cover. There's a publishing company that printed it and put it out to stores, and the stores sold it, and all those different things. The book, the existence of the book itself, and the way that it's put together, testifies to something, someone greater than the printed book. Folks, people should look at Forest Park. They should look at the people making up Forest Park, you and me. They, they should look at the way we live. Watch how we interact with one another. Watch how we treat one another. Watch what we do when we fall, when we fail. Watch what we do when we win and succeed. Watch what we do when we're going through tough times and hurtful times. They should be able to watch us, look at us, see how we interact, watch our lives. And they should say this, I don't know for sure if Jesus came out of the tomb, but those people, their community, their love, their acceptance, their inclusion of others, their values and their lifestyle is the best evidence for a living Savior I've ever seen. Let me give you an example. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Greatest sermon ever preached. If you haven't read it, I highly encourage you to sit down and read it. Read it 5, 6, 7. Read it straight through if you can. Find another translation. Read it again. Soak yourself in it. So many comments that we make in church, so many sermons are based on it. So many different famous phrases are found within that sermon. Let's just take it real quick. I'm not going to work my way through. Just, just a minute or so. It starts out with, blessed are the poor. Tell me, how can the poor really be blessed without the resurrection of Jesus? How, how can those who mourn ultimately be comforted without it? How can we love our enemies? How can we, how can we forgive those who've hurt us? How can, we, how can we turn the other cheek and go the extra mile and give our shirts if asked also? How can we enter a room? And pray in secret, knowing that our Father hears in secret and rewards openly with the resurrection of Jesus that makes all of that real and true. How can any of this make any real sense unless there is a living Savior whose kingdom is present, who eventually restores and renews all things? The resurrection should so radically affect the way we live, the way we think, the way we treat one another, that if it isn't true, we're crazy. You should lock us up in a mental ward, and throw away the key. How else would anyone explain how we live? How else would anybody explain how we interact? How would anybody explain what we did a few minutes ago and stand and sing and people's hands lifted and talking about God? Crazy if it didn't come out of the tomb. But let me, let me get a little tight in here, okay? This is what bothers me, and it has bothered me for a while. A lot of what happens inside churches and in the lives of people attending those churches would continue exactly the same way if Jesus had rotted inside of the tomb rather than walked out. Our thoughts, actions, conversations, politics, treatment of people, on and on, would be no different had Jesus been pulled from the cross and eaten by dogs rather than raised from the dead early Sunday morning. 
And much of the stuff we do in churches week after week could be done without Jesus and almost nobody would even notice. That bothers me. Might not bother you because you might not have an issue with it. It bothers me. And what we need is a resurgence of the gospel. The good news, the community-forming, character-transforming, mind-bending, culture-shifting gospel of Jesus. They say, well, Scott, how? How? Well, let let me slow this down. I want you to process this with me, okay? Our behaviors, our actions, our habits, the way we treat people, all that I've been talking about, flow from how we think. What happens right between our ears, if you will. And how we think shapes how we perceive reality. And how we perceive reality is everything. It is as if everybody is wearing a pair of glasses. Over the last few years, I've had to wear these more and more. It's almost as if you have a pair of glasses and I have a pair of glasses and you have a pair of glasses and everybody has a pair of glasses and you look through those glasses and you perceive everything around you. And what you look through shapes and forms what you think is true, what you think is false, how you interact with these people, those people, whatever. How we think shapes how we perceive reality, how we perceive reality shapes and bends everything. And here's what I'm offering you. The resurrection is a new pair of glasses. When you become a follower of Jesus, you slip on a new pair of glasses through which you see reality. And it changes your perception of people, culture, everything. The glasses we wear determines what we see and what we see becomes our reality. And the resurrection of Jesus profoundly changes how we see. The resurrection of Jesus shifts our reality, provides us with a new pair of glasses through which we perceive everything. In fact, Christians should see everything through the lens of the resurrection of Jesus. Let, let me get practical. When someone messes up, I mean, I mean, they blow it. I mean, they fall flat on their face. They bring embarrassment to themselves. They bring embarrassment to their family. They bring embarrassment maybe to their job. I don't know, but they are just humiliated. They have blown it. We are to see that person. We are to see those people through the resurrection of Jesus. When someone is confused, when they're struggling, when they're broken, when they're hurting, we see them through the resurrection of Jesus. When politics disappoint, politicians lie, the economy tanks, inflation rises, pandemics continue, we see it all through the resurrection of Jesus. Every system, every person, every event, every situation should be perceived through the resurrection of Jesus. You see, folks, on Sunday morning, when Jesus awakened, everything in the universe changed. Everything. That is a fact. That is not an opinion. That is an absolute fact. Death, no longer our enemy. Sin is no longer our master. Hell is no longer our threat. Forgiveness is abundant. Mercy runs freely. 
Love is supreme. God's kingdom is securely in place. That's what you understand when you look through the resurrection of Jesus. It changes how you see everything, every person, every event, everything in your past, everything in your present, and everything that will take place in your future is perceived through the resurrection of Jesus and seeing things through the resurrection of Jesus changes your reality. You see, as followers of Jesus... We took off the glasses of defeat and worry and fear and exclusion and burdens and trying to appease a distant deity. And instead, we put on the glasses of grace and love and acceptance and inclusion and peace and joy and hope and the knowledge that we do not have to appease any distant God, but we are completely pleasing just as we are to Jesus God in the flesh, up close and personal. And looking through Different glasses provides an entirely new perspective on everything and everybody. And what I'm trying to do today is offer you those glasses. And what I've learned is that when we come together, see a lot of us who are followers of Christ, we have those glasses on, but they're dirty. And I've learned that when we come together as the body on Sunday mornings or whenever we gather, we help to wash each other's glasses. When we stand and we sing and we worship, we help to clean those glasses. When we hear truth proclaimed and truth taught, it helps to clean those glasses. We get in community groups and we talk and we laugh and we pray together and we encourage one another. We help to clean one another's glasses so that we can see the reality of the resurrection more and more clearly. And when we stay away from one another and we don't come together and we don't hear the word taught and we're not singing together, our glasses become increasingly dirty. Those of you who wear them know exactly what I mean when you put a pair on and you're thinking, man, that person's face is dirty. You're like, no, it's not that their face is dirty. It's that your lens are dirty. When you put dirty glasses on, everybody is dirty. So here's how the resurrection changes everything. Or here's how the lens we peer through to see everything or Here is how the resurrection alters reality for us. And I'm going to give you three, okay? And I'm only going to spend 20 minutes on each. I'm kidding. Maybe not less than five. Very, very brief. I'm going to give you three. Absolute fundamental ways the resurrection changes everything. Number one, the resurrection declares Jesus is Lord. Folks, I have stood in church all my life, and I've sung the song, Jesus is Lord. I've had my hands lifted. I've had tears in my eyes. I've come down front. I've sung the song. I've written it. I've preached it. But I'm understanding it maybe more today than ever before. This is a declaration. This is not an opinion. I am not saying Jesus is Lord, but that's just my personal opinion. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Jesus rose from the dead as a matter of fact in space and time, and he is Lord of all, all history, all nations, all people, all future events. And because he is Lord, there is no president, king, or ruler who is Lord. The United States of America is not Lord. We the people are not Lord. No one, no thing, no idea is Lord. I'm also saying Jesus is peerless. He is not 
on the highest slope and all the other gods, lesser gods, are kind of spread out down below him, going down in descending order of importance. No, no, no. There are no other gods even close to him. He is without equal, and he is so far above the other would-be gods, trying to comprehend the distance as a waste of energy. You see, when a person becomes a follower of Jesus, he or she is acknowledging this fact. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. That is a statement of truth. That is a statement of reality. You and I live inside a kingdom where Jesus Christ is Lord, always has been Lord, always will be Lord. And that Sunday morning declared that to all of the universe once and for all. The resurrection announces all is forgiven. Everything, everything you and I have ever done or will do is pardoned, expunged, cleared, exonerated, purged. What other words can I use to explain what is true? You know, folks, one of the most powerful statements Jesus makes on the cross to me is when he says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You know why that's so powerful to me? Because while being crucified, think about this. While he is being crucified, tortured, beaten, hung on a cross, dying, he has the wherewithal to show deep mercy, profound compassion, and intense love for the very people who put him there. And in that moment, in that moment of unfathomable pain and agony, he says to his father, Father, forgive them, why? They're ignorant. That's not an insult. What he's saying is they don't realize what they're doing. They're blind. They don't see who I am. They don't understand what's going on. They can't see the past and the future. They don't connect it all together. To them, I am just a person in the way. I'm a political revolutionary. I'm just someone who's another religious zealot. They don't understand what's going on. They can't comprehend what this means. And I have learned that everybody sitting in this room and everybody watching online, we're, we're almost always ignorant, aren't we? We're almost always ignorant. We have no idea what we're doing to one another. Sometimes I, I see things on social media, I see things in the news, I see my own life, and I think to myself, how ignorant are we? We don't even realize what we're doing to society. We don't realize what we're doing to our marriages, to our bodies. We don't see what we're doing to our future generations. We, we live mostly ignorant of our actions. We walk around trying to find joy in the silly things with little to no knowledge of what we're doing to hurt others. We, we, we can't see clearly. We can't process how movement, our movements affect other people and how this decision hurts my wife or this decision hurts my friend or this decision hurts the church or this decision hurts society or this decision hurts my kids or the generations to come. Our government has no idea. We're just ignorant people. And if Jesus asked his father to forgive those who were intentionally at the very moment mocking and torturing and killing him because they were ignorant, then... How much more for us who do stupid, though ignorant, things today? That, that's, that's why when the prodigal son returned, if you know the story in Luke 15, one of the most famous stories ever told, and the prodigal son goes off and wastes his father's money, and he does just, you know, horrible things. And Jesus paints that picture so, so just 
shockingly. He goes out into a far country, wastes all his money on sex parties and binge drinking and you just name it. And his father, God, throws a party. Why? For his son who was dead, ignorant, had no idea what he was doing, thought he knew. He didn't know. Wasted it all. Now he's alive. And he comes home. The resurrection announces all is forgiven. Everything you've ever done, everything you've thought of, every mistake, every sin, everything you've done, it is forgiven, washed, cleansed, atoned. The third declaration, the third announcement, the third guarantee is everything is being made new. Right now, we're living in the in-between. The already, but not yet. We are existing where heaven and earth overlap. Sometimes we see heaven. Sometimes we see earth. Sometimes we watch heaven and earth kiss. Because Jesus said he would rise, and he did, that we trust that his kingdom is already here. It is present, but not yet realized. And it will continue until every single thing is entirely made new. That's the promise. When he walked out of that tomb, he announced to all of the universe, I am renewing everything. I am Lord, you are forgiven. And every single thing is being made new at this very moment in this space and time. And sometimes we see it more clearly than we do others. Sometimes in our life, we walk around and we go... Where's God? There's God. Other times we walk around and we go, where's God? And we're like, I don't, I don't know. Other times we walk, where's God? There's God. You see it in the face of this child. You see it in this miracle. You see it in this moment. You see it in there. You see it. You see heaven and earth kiss. It's in the overlap. We live in that moment. And one day, one day, one day, the fullness of his glory will flood this earth. And time will be no more. And everything will be fully and completely renewed. And we will stand in utter amazement at the one who said, I can take all things and work them together for good to those who love me and are called according to my purpose. So here's, here's my message to you. No matter the pain, disappointment, or brokenness you see in the lives of others, or you experience within yourself, know this. The story isn't over. You are not over. The pain you feel, the disappointment you have, the ache in your soul, it's not it. It's not over. It's not finished. And there is a day, there's a day, there's a day dawning when every injustice will be made just and every crooked road will be made straight and every tear will be removed and we along with every being throughout the universe will stand with complete amazement and stunning awe of the one who made all things new. Not only will he do it, he is doing it, even now. And the resurrection guarantees it. Revelation 21, that I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the former heaven and the former earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. Look, 
God's dwelling is here with humankind. He will dwell with them and they will be his peoples. God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. There will be no more mourning, crying, or pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, I am making all things So how does all this matter, Scott? Oh, it matters. It matters. It matters to your aching heart. It matters to your wayward son. It matters to your nightmares. It matters to your anxiety. It matters to your past that's riveted, riveted in pain and hurt and remorse and guilt. It matters when your first marriage fell apart, your second marriage fell apart. It matters when you lost custody to your kids. It matters when you hear the call of the drugs again and you go back to it. It matters when you open your mouth and say things you shouldn't say. It matters when you wake up hungover. It matters because your story's not over. It matters because he's making everything new. Even you, even me. So you might not be able to see it clearly because maybe your glasses are dirty. And my prayer is that you walk out of here today and you see everything through the resurrection. And here's what I want you to know. Because Jesus is Lord and because all is forgiven, and because everything is being made new, my friend, you can with confidence in your mess, in your mistakes, get up from where you are and you can come home. And you can know beyond any reasonable, any shadow of a doubt that you are loved. You are loved. You are loved. He is Lord. All is forgiven. And everything is being made due. Would you please stand with me? Our band is coming. I'm going to close us out in a song. And I'm going to come back and pray with you before we go today. Cross and 
needs to see that everything is being made new. And one day we're going to stand, as that song says, and we're just going to declare. We can come home because you're putting it all together. You're putting the storyline in place. And we're going to look back and we're going to say, that's what he was doing. That's how it worked out. I'm amazed, absolutely amazed and stunned in awe of how you're going to weave everything together. Our pain, our hurt, our disappointment, our mistakes. You're going to weave it together. We're going to stand before you one day and say, God, to you be all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. How amazing is that? Thank you for loving us. Thank you for cleansing and washing us. And if there's one person in this room and they're struggling to believe that, oh God, ignite faith in them. Ignite faith in them. Ignite faith in them that that flame become a raging fire. And they'll bow their hearts. They'll bow their lives before you and say, God, here I am, take me. And you will. It doesn't matter how far we've gone. It doesn't matter how far we've fallen. You redeem, cleanse, restore. Thank you. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. What an honor it has been today to be with you. I hope you have an incredible, incredible Easter. And you take this good news home and let it change how you see everything, how you treat one another, how you interact with one another, how you see history, how you see everything that's going on around our world right now. He is Lord. All is forgiven. Everything is being renewed. We love you. Have a great day.